Hi, and welcome to the Malaysian Social Projects Podcast, where we summarize and discuss some of our latest research topics. My name is Hanson, and I'm an associate of the Impact and Research Team at the Malaysian Social Project. Hi, and welcome. My name is Vincent, and I'm also an associate of the Impact and Research Team at the Malaysian Social Project. So today, we will be speaking about our two latest blog posts on why does the Malaysian third sector exist? Mm-hmm. So Hanson, um, would you like to give us an overview on what is it about? Sure. Uh, so these two blocks were about the theories on how the Malaysian third sector emerged. So like, we want to know why is there a third sector in Malaysia in the first place? Mm-hmm. I see. And why is that interesting? So for me as an economic student, it's interesting because in classical economics, uh, tracing back to Adam Smith's The Wealth of Nations in 1776, we assume that firms and individuals are selfish. So there's no reason why someone would start a non-profit. Wow, classical economics. But now that you mention it, doesn't the government often do things without a profit motive? Yeah, that's right. But there's a political economy explanation to why the government exists. So there is the social contract theory, uh, which traces back to Thomas Hobbes' Leviathan in 1651. So essentially, the people or like civil society make a contract where they trade some of their own freedom to this institution called the government to control them. Because without the government, the world will be in anarchy with no law and no order. Oh, so that explains why we have the public sector, right? Yeah, and then the third sector is like all activities outside of the private and public sectors. So essentially all non-profit, non-governmental activities. I see, I see. So there are many explanations for how the private sector and public sector emerges, Mm -hmm. but you are specifically interested in researching theories on how the third sector emerges, right? Yep, exactly. Cool. So can you tell us what are some of the theories that you looked at? Uh, Yeah. So the team actually looked into both economic reasons and also sociological reasons. In our first block, we discussed the economics. And then the second one, we discussed like sociology. We found three economic reasons, uh, government failure theory, market failure theory, and a stakeholder theory, and also uh, one from sociology called the social origins theory. Wow, I feel like I've heard um, these three economic reasons before. So yeah, um, shall we dive straight into talking about the first economic theory that you mentioned? Yeah, sure. But uh, before we dive in, right, it's important that we understand what a public good is because I'll be using the phrase public good quite frequently as I explain. Uh, yeah, yep, yep, for sure. So from my understanding, a public good is one that is um, non-rivalrous and non-excludable, right? Yep, correct. And you know what that means? Um, from my understanding, a non-rivalrous good means that your consumption will not reduce other people's consum- consumption of the good, right? So for example, um, fish in a pond is a rivalrous good, mm. meaning that the more you fish, the less fish other people get. Yep, that's correct. Uh, We call such goods, like the fish in this case, is like a common good. Yep. Um, And the non-excludable part means that 
you have no way to exclude other people from using it, right? So, mm. for example, private parking is an excludable good because it is possible to restrict someone's usage of it, right? Yep. So when you combine non-rivalrous and non-excludable, you get a public good, meaning that you cannot stop other people from using it and how much you use does not affect other people's consumption. So examples of the public good are like national defense, infrastructure, so roads, bridges, etc., and also like air that we breathe. So you see, it's very difficult to put a price on a good like this, and there's very little incentive for the private sector to provide it. At the same time, some of these public goods are very, very important. Like imagine a world without public infrastructure, no roads, no bridges. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't want to live in such a world. So, oh yeah, um, so isn't, isn't it the government responsibility to provide this public good? Yep, you're right. So it's usually the, the government who assumes the role of the provider of the public good. But sometimes the government may fail to provide it, either due to some constraints that the government faces or because of some incentives. So this is the first theory of the emergence of the third sector, the government failure theory. Oh, wait, um, can you elaborate more on the incentive part? Yeah, so uh, in a democracy, who becomes government depends on the median voter or like the voter that makes the majority group the majority group, if that makes sense. Oh, so like the kingmaker group, basically. Yeah, uh, something like that. So the, when the government failure theory was first proposed, the level of public good uh, is supplied, that is supplied by the government is determined by the median voter who gives the winning party victory. Now, the interest of the median voter might not reflect the needs of minority groups, for example, and there might be some needs that are not addressed by the government. Then the third sector emerges to respond to these needs. I see. So they're basically doing what the government should be doing, right? Yeah, something like that. Ah, uh, I see. Then, then will it be correct to say that the more diverse the society, then the more needs from minority groups are not addressed? And this means that the third sector, and means that the larger the third sector is? Mm, yeah, you can say that that's one of the implications of the theory. Oh, then it will be very relevant to Malaysia then, since, you know, um, Malaysia is so multicultural. Mm -hmm. So, in fact, on top of my head, I can actually think of a third sector the Malaysian social project worked with before, where the government failure theory of is applicable. Mm. So do you remember Epic Epic Homes, one of the clients we worked with before? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's one of our cycles. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this Malaysian-based NGO, they actually provide sustainable and safe homes for the poorest and the unfortunate. So ultimately, mm -hmm. their organizational goal is to build relationship between the rural and the urban by building homes for, the, for underprivileged communities like the Orang Asli which is a minority group in Malaysia. So eventually, um, actually their impact was noticed and Prima Avenue became mm. their first sponsor to volunteer their services and provide all the necessary architects, engineers, and all the con contractors to actually scale up their organization. Mm. And, and relating back to the government failure theory, um, the government failed to address poor living conditions of you know, this minority group, the mm. Orang Asli, so um, essentially, without putting any effort in developing the Orang Asli village, 
the third sector became the alternative provider, right? Yeah, that's an excellent example of uh, emergence of a social, uh, a third sector organization based on the government failure theory. Yep, um, definitely. So um, what is that second theory that you mentioned earlier after the government failure theory? Yeah, so the second one that I mentioned is the market failure theory. So do you remember earlier in our conversation about the public good? Oh, yeah, yeah. The um, non-rivalrous and non-excludable, right? Yep. So due to the non-rivalrous and non-excludable nature of the public good, there is usually little to no incentive for private markets to provide the good. So this is the market failure theory. Oh, this is actually quite simple to understand. So the market failure theory reminds me of, I, of another client that the Malaysian Social Project worked mm. with before. So do you remember the NGO called, um, what do you call that? Uh, Teach for Malaysia? Yeah, 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 I think they're quite well known here, here in Malaysia, Teach for Malaysia. So yeah, um, I think Teach for Malaysia, they are an independent NGO on a mission to empower Malaysia through education, right? Mm -hmm. So their aim is to um, end educational inequality in Malaysia. Mm. So education uh, inequality is a serious problem in Malaysia. And not actually not not only in Malaysia but um in a lot of places in the world, right? So yeah. nowadays Malaysia still sees like that stark gap in access to education between students, you know, from B forty communities and their wealthier peers. Yeah. So often often than not, um, children children from less privileged communities do not have access to the same opportunities, and thousands of children do not get this get this opportunity to to unlock their full potential because of these different factors. And one of them can be, you know, for example, coming from a low income families. And I think this relates back to the market failure theory, which you mentioned, mm -hmm. where, you know, there's little to no incentive for the private market to offer education, educational services to the poor. And this explains, this actually explains why NGOs like Teach for Malaysia were established to counter this issue in the first place. Yeah, right. I think that's another great example. In fact, the market failure theory predicts that education would typically be provided by nonprofits because public trust is higher in third sector organizations because quality is more like the quality of education is more difficult to evaluate compared to standardized manufactured goods. So you need higher public trust. Yep. That's actually very true. Yep. So the third theory from economics that explains the emergence of the third sector that uh, is mentioned in the blog is the stakeholder theory. So under this framework, the stakeholders who are themselves the users of the public good, they are the ones who take control of the supply of the public good to avoid exploitation by profit maximizing firms. So a very important part of this theory is that the demanders, the users, the stakeholders of the public good, they only assume the role as producer if the benefits outweigh the cost. Meaning that when it is easier or cheaper for them to pr produce the good than to look for it somewhere else. So uh, feminist groups are a prominent example of a third sector organization that arises from stakeholder theory. I see. Oh, um, speaking of feminist group, I think the All Women Action Society, also known as AWAM, if mm -hmm. I'm if I'm uh, saying it correctly, yeah, I think it's a, yeah, I think it's a feminist nonprofit organization based in Malaysia. 
So yeah, relating back to the stakeholder theory you explained before, I, I, I think the establishment of AWAM describes exactly that because the stakeholders are also the users of the public goods, right? Where, you know, the founders themselves, they want to be protected from the injustice, um, the inequality, and the disrespect of treatment towards women at that time. So of course, um, today gender equality has come a long way and it has improved tremendously. But back in 1985, Malaysia had neither a law against domestic violence abuse nor adequate protection for survivors of such abuse. Mm. So, um, I mean, the laws against rape at that time were outdated and it actually dis discouraged survivors from filing reports. So Malaysia federal constitution, um, they did not prohibit discrimination on the basis of gender mm. and the labor's labor laws did not protect employees from sexual harassment at the workplace. So other women issues were seen as private affairs at that time and it did not uh, matter as of in the public policy's eye. Mm. And actually this is how Awam started um, back in from all the way back in 1985 uh, because of this mistreatment and injustice. Mm. And besides, um, thinking, thinking back again, um, Awam, uh, this could also be applied to the government failure theory, right? Because mm. essentially, if the government failed to have a law against the situation, the stakeholders themselves take control of the supply of the public good. Yep, that's quite true. So, so far in our discussion, we have only covered the economic reasons for the emergence of the third sector, but it's actually more complex mm. than that. Oh, um... Are there like different perspectives that we're missing here? Yeah, uh, you can say that. So we also need to look at the like the social, uh, political, and also historical dimensions to the development of the third sector. That means we have to turn to explanations from sociology to explain the emergence and development of the third sector. Oh, okay. So. I'm guessing that you know after after we talk about the uh, government failure theory, then the market failure theory. I'm guessing that this is the social origins theory that you mentioned right in the beginning. Yep. So in the social origins theory, the emergence and later development of the third sector is explained as like a series of interactions between different classes in in civil society and also the social institutions in the society. So if I'm getting it right, in simpler terms, does that mean that the third sector is basically determined by the relationship between the people and the state? Yeah, exactly. So in this framework, there are four models of development of the third sector, depending on two things, the level of government social welfare spending, and secondly, the size of the third sector. So you can imagine with me like a 2-2 matrix, uh, where on one, one side you have the government social welfare spending, and you have third sector size on the on another axis. So when government spending on social welfare is low and the size of the third sector is large, then we have a liberal model. Honestly, um, it sounds like that is what our government failure theory is based on. You know, low level of government spending and mm. many third sector activities. Yeah, correct. In fact, actually quite a number of the economic theories, they fall under the liberal model. Oh, wow. Um, are there any other models? Yep. So there's another one on the complete opposite side of the spectrum, 
where you have a lot of government spending on social welfare, but very little third sector activity. So in this case, you have a social democratic model. Oh, um, so like, uh, what do you call that model? Scandinavian model, right? Yeah, it's, it's a bit like the model that a lot of Scandinavian countries like Sweden and uh, Sweden, Sweden and Norway, they, they, they use where the government invests a lot in social welfare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, mm. that model. Yeah, so essentially, this is a welfare state where the government provides most of the public good and there's very little need for third sector organizations to step in. Oh, so that means that there's no third sector at all? Uh, not necessarily. In a social welfare model, the third sector would actually play more, will play a different role. They'll play more of a facilitating role for the expression of uh, political, social, or like recreational interests. Oh, and then, um, so what is the case for, you know, where both government welfare spending and the third sector is small, or the case where both are large? Mm. Uh, when the, in the case where both are large, we have a cooperatist model where the government and third sector, they cooperate, they work together to provide the public good. Ah, so an example of that is the vaccine rollout, right? Where the <laughs> Ministry of Health appointed um, appointed Protect Health, I think, a non-profit organization to roll them out. That's right. And finally, like the case where there's both low government spending on social welfare and small third sector size, that's where we have a status model, where the state or the government retains control over the social policies in the country. Interesting. So how can we actually use um, the social origins theory? Well, the social origins theory offers a very simple way for us to classify different stages of third sector. And the central claim of the theory is that third sector emerges as a result of complex interaction between civil society and the social institutions that exist within society. And these classifications are not meant to be a rigid structure, but rather as a guide for broad tendencies or like different pathways through which the third sector evolves. I see. So I do think that, you know, it integrates social and historical issues with economics to offer a quite a good explanation of the scale and the role of the third sector, right? Yeah, I agree. All right. So... Now that we've explained all the three theories that you mentioned, um, to summarize what we've discussed, um, I believe the reason why the third sector exists in the first place is that there were multiple problems that the government and the private sector could not solve. And they mainly came from the three theories, three theories that uh, you mentioned. The first, which is the government failure theory, then the market failure theory, and lastly, the stakeholder theory, right? Yep, that's very well summarized. And yeah, uh, just an additional key point here that we can all learn, you know, is that um, these third sector organizations, they often devote themselves either to a particular issue which needs solving such as climate change, unavoidable housing, which NGOs like APEC homes are solving, mm. or even towards a particular group in society like um, women facing cultural barriers. Mm -hmm. Like uh, what we mentioned, what, what was the organization called again? Was yeah, it? Awam, right? Oh yeah, Awam, Awam, yep. So in short, the third sector really aims at helping 
people that require support and representation. And towards that end, I think it is safe to say um, that, you know, we should all take our part in this role to join or at least start um, these third sector organizations to those who really need our help. So yeah, um, thank you again, Hanson, for running through your research with uh, me today. And I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation we had today on why the third sector exists. Yep, thank you. And it's been quite an eye-opening conversation. So that's all we have to talk about in this podcast. So listeners, if you've enjoyed it, do read the full blog post for deeper analysis. Uh, the links will be available in the show notes. Also, do give us a follow for more similar content where we share about our latest research on the Malaysian third sector and discuss them so that anyone can learn and get exposure on these crucial organizations.